Hello, and you are listening to Scar Joe Gogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke, and this week I'm talking about he's just not that into you. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Imagine, if you will, there are but four things that can be used to describe a person. And these four things are funny, smart, sexy, and cute. But there is a catch, of course, as there always is with these sorts of things. You may only pick two of them. It's kind of like that thing where, you know, you can have it cheap, you can have it fast, or you can have it good quality. But this is about people. This is about you. So... Which two are you, dear listener? Have a real good think about this. Are you funny, smart, sexy, cute? What two best describe you? Have you got your answer? Do you know which two you are? Well, the correct answer is wrong. You are wrong. Why would you even go along with a ridiculous notion such as that? Are you a dumb-dumb? There are only four things? And you can only choose two of them? For real? You bought into that? Shame on you. However, in the film, he's just not that into you. Our very own Scarlett Johansson does pose this very question to another indistinct character, which is surprisingly apt for a film which is written as though its writers honestly believed that there were only four character traits in all of existence. But the twist is as well in this film that Scarlet gets her man friend to choose her two traits for her. So what will he decide? What does he think Scarlet is? And uh, you know what? You're going to have to listen and wait to find out that one. But first, when we last left Scarlet, she played a supporting role as a sexy chauffeur slash sexy nurse slash sexy Nazi in The Spirit A film that would have you believe that writer-director Frank Miller had never actually spoken to or seen another human being before. And yet, you know, I gotta admit, despite its stilted, indulgent, uh, amateurish madness, I still did have a great deal of fun watching Scarlet in that very heightened role. And uh, that chronologically brings us now to He's Just Not That Into You, uh, which is a film, of course, from 2009, a scant six years ago, if you can believe that. I'm going to dwell on that a lot as we we go forward. And a film that is based on a self-help book for people who don't know their ass from their elbow. And the gimmick here, the most memorable thing, is that this film stars a complete galaxy of stars. In fact, Scarlett Johansson isn't even the main star. We've got Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Goodwin, 
One of these things just doesn't belong here. Come on, can you tell which one? I guess uh, a Jennifer is what you cast when you run out of uh, Jennifers. Jennifer, I believe, is Snow White in Once Upon a Time. Though I believe a lot of crazy things, so don't quote me on that one. Bradley Cooper. Ben Affleck. Drew Barrymore. Justin Long. Everybody is in this film. Will we have time to develop a genuine interest in all these characters? We all remember what happened with Spider-Man 3. But we're committed. Let's do this thing. Uh, it opens with kids playing in a park. And the narrator, which I think is Jennifer, tells us a girl will never forget the first boy she likes, even if things don't quite work out. That is our thesis statement. And uh, this little girl playing in the playground, a boy comes up and tells her that she both smells and looks like poo. This little girl is a big old shit. So she bursts into tears and her mother assures her that this is actually quite a magical thing and that the boy is only doing this, only calling her a big old turd because he has a crush on her. Now, if that outrages you, don't worry because our narrator is also outraged, making the very fair statement that it's detrimental for girls to grow up believing that if they're treated in shitty ways, it's just because men really like them. This is the premise of our film. And, and then we do cut to many different women who are seen giving these same sort of excuses about men, excusing them for mistreating them. And this even includes a couple of African women in a tribal village who say that uh, the man in question may have lost her, and I quote, hut number or have been eaten by a lion. Well done, America, in 2009. Finger on the pulse there. What a wonderful cultural stereotype. I'm just disappointed that the American women weren't wearing cowboy hats, shooting missiles at foreign civilians and, and stuffing their faces with hamburgers. So really, this is the intertwining story of our three main women, which are Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Connelly, and uh, Jennifer. Is that a real name? I'm dubious about that. Uh, Jennifer Goodwin. This is also a 130 minute movie. So I'm not going to explain every plot thing that happens in here because about uh, two thirds or more of this movie do not involve Scarlett Johansson. But as always, I will give you a sense of what it's like to watch this thing, i.e. crying and screaming. So our good pal Jennifer goes on a date with Kevin Connolly and uh, she comes out of it thinking it really went well. She notices he's walking away and he's talking into his cell phone. She's thinking, you know, maybe he's calling me, but no, he's calling, can you guess? He's calling Scarlett Johansson. So Scarlett, long blonde, wavy, glam hair and makeup, which is quite a contrast with the brown cardigan and, and sort of um, comfortable day-to-day -day clothes she's wearing. Neck up, perfume mad, neck down buying groceries, which is in fact exactly what she's doing as she walks through a supermarket aisle and speaks to Kevin on her cell phone. Uh, she's carrying a bottle, she's also got a bunch of bananas. Does that symbolize something? I don't know. I imagine that maybe it's showing She's a single, independent woman, and the bunch of bananas represents the bunch of dicks that are available to her. And her first line in response to Kevin saying that he was thinking about her is, That's very sweet of you, Connor. Thanks. 
America, you bomb countries where the women are less submissive than this. And ironically, despite the film's very clear title and premise, it seems that Scarlett doesn't appear that into him. And in fact, she ends up waiting in line behind a flirty Bradley Cooper, the rascal, who lets her go ahead of him while he chooses some gum. And it is this act of chivalry, supermarket chivalry, that brings out the very familiar Scarlet smile. And wouldn't you know it, she is the 1,000th customer ever Today, I don't know how well this business fares, but either way, she wins an esky, or what you in America would call a cooler. A small, handled box in which to keep things cold. And she is absolutely thrilled at this, and she says, This is the most exciting thing that ever happened to me. Which is perhaps the first leap of faith that this movie asks you to make, because it's very hard to see this glamorous movie star looking blonde Scarlett Johansson who soon reveals herself to be a singer among other things and believe that um, this is the only exciting thing that ever happened to her. I believe exciting things probably happen to her all the damn time. She's even like, is that sad? Like she's just some big pathetic blob of crap that's waiting for the universe to finally do her a favour. I would argue that the universe has already given you a bounty of wonderful things served in a nest of golden filigree. And she hugs Bradley Cooper, who seems equally thrilled, not because of the esky, but because Scarlett Johansson is hugging him. So Scarlett talks to Bradley outside and hangs up on Kevin, who's desperately trying to call her back. And already I'm feeling that she seems scattered and not too bright. In fact, this is one of those sequences where we arrive late. Her first line in this is, what was I saying again? And by saying that, she actually gives Bradley the opportunity to give a summary of her backstory for her. So she doesn't even get the chance to speak for herself and say what her character is about on camera. Bradley gets to do that while she stands and looks pretty and lets the men do all the heavy lifting. In fact... He even offers to carry her groceries. He's literally willing to do heavy lifting for her. But what irks me the most about this character to begin with is she's yet to say anything of any real substance. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I would already be willing to bet that this character is not smart and is not funny. And then she overpraises him more. She's clearly very interested in him uh, when he offers to connect her to someone he knows who deals with music clients and she gives him his number. He reveals that he's married, and he lets her know that uh, she is a charming, hot, yoga-instructing singer. So again, he gives the information about who she is. Also, lets her know she's hot, just in case she wasn't sure about that. I'm sure nobody ever tells her that in her life. And she agrees to call him. Now, they do have lots of sparkly eye contact here. They definitely have chemistry. Although Bradley Cooper does douche it up quite a bit by chewing gum throughout the entire scene. She trots off blissfully and instead we then follow Bradley Cooper who gets into a car with Ben Affleck. And this is total stunt casting all the way. And it really does feel like stunt casting for stunt casting's sake. This whole air of, oh look who it is, now look who it is. Oh look, it's this person too now. 
But my question is, does it have substance? Am I going to learn anything new about the relationships between men and women? And instead, what I'm discovering as I dig deeper into all these non-scarlet parts, which feature uh, Jennifer fretting with Jennifer and Jennifer about not receiving a call. When is it okay to call back? Is a woman allowed to call back instead of the man? What, what I'm getting is the most bland, stereotypical, and most importantly, dated. I mean, this is only six years ago, but this feels so dated. Uh, look at gender politics imaginable. And you can't help feeling that if these characters were real individuals with real quirks and flaws and ambitions and goals and agency, then they wouldn't waste their time or be caught up in all this dickish nonsense. Or at least they would approach it in an interesting, unique, character-driven way. Because the problem with all this dated men are like this, women are like this material, is it's not insightful and it's not funny. And none of these characters are particularly well-defined. If this was a TV show, you would stop watching it because there are a billion better things out there with better characterization and better personality. I'm not a Sex in the City fan. But I know that those four characters, I know their traits. I, they're clearly defined. They play off each other in interesting ways. I couldn't tell you what it is about the characters in this film. And there are a lot of characters played by a lot of big celebrities. I couldn't tell you what makes them compelling. So what is the draw here with this film besides a whole bunch of big stars getting away with only doing a few days of filming each? I really do not get it. I assume the book was popular in order to make the movie out of it. And I think things that are very broad and have ideas that are easily understood by the lowest common denominator, that's how they get popular. These are those really broad mainstream truths about men and women that um, your bogan relatives are going to agree with. But what I'm finding is that making a movie based on a self-help book proves about as engaging as watching a film based on a book of Sudoku. Plus, Jennifer has a pink landline phone with actual buttons and her lamp has a horse on it. This film feels like 1999, not 2009. So, fuck you. Now, we get the wit and wisdom of Justin Long here as well. He's this, like, let me tell you what the deal is, because I'm a guy, and this is what we do as guys. This is what guys do, and I just fucking hate broad generalizations about gender. I'm like, don't speak for me, Justin Long. Don't Paint me with your broad Justin Long brush. I want to I turn to the women in the room, the women listening and go, look, he doesn't speak for me. He doesn't speak for all men. This is crazy. Every time I hear, hear someone in real life go, oh, you know, men do this, men are like this, or oh, women do this, women are like this. I just think maybe you're hanging around with the wrong kind of people because it sounds to me like you're just hanging around with an absolute bunch of dicks. And then Drew Barrymore is in this too, another character to underdevelop. She's with Scarlet. And we're back to this weird foot fetish motif that has continued throughout these films that we've looked at on the podcast. Just for the record, if you're a new listener, I definitely do not have a foot fetish. This isn't something I'm bringing into it. 
there is a huge history in the Scarlett Johansson films where feet are featured. In fact, the top three ongoing themes in Scarlett Johansson films so far, by my reckoning, are feet, references to France, and smoking cigarettes. They're the three things that crop up the most. And Scarlett and Drew, in this instance, are getting their feet manicured. So we do get to see pictures of their toes. And uh, Scarlett is very much failing the Bechtel test. Bechtel test. This is the test that, and I quote Wikipedia, asks if a work of fiction features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. No, they are talking about how dreamy Bradley Cooper was outside the supermarket. And despite knowing that he's getting married, Scarlett, who can blame her, she just can't stop thinking about him. So again, she is playing the hot other woman who is about to wreak havoc on our protagonist's relationship. And Drew Barrymore, she's not much help. She convinces her that she should go for it and that easily led Scarlett goes to call him. She has got to get on that D. They had such a great time winning and uh, winning an esky and buying gum and talking outside a supermarket for five minutes that uh, she's got to break up this marriage, right? So she wants coffee, but on the phone, Bradley's like, oh no, really, I shouldn't. And I do fear that Scarlett oversells the performance here. Like if you watched it with the sound turned down, you'd think she was hearing that her puppy died. Pretty distraught reaction for someone who's hearing, yeah, I don't know if I want to go out to coffee with you because I'm married. And so she goes to Kevin Connolly's house instead and she sits on the couch while he massages her bare foot. I'm telling you, I'm not making this stuff up. And this is where they talk about the smart, sexy, funny and cute and how you can only be two of these things. She thinks Kevin Connolly is smart and cute. And he says, did you guess which two she was? He says that she is sexy and cute. Now she objects to this. She's like, that's not fair because those two things are about looks. They're also two kind of similar things. And if you were only going to have four things, I don't know why you would have two that were about looks, but that is the situation that we are in. Does she feel objectified? Sold short? She should do. She should feel pissed off that a character is just sexy and cute. But Kevin Connolly is right. In this instance, the character that she's been given is neither smart or funny. But then she hugs him and says he's the best and leaves for no reason. I find her totally scattered and fickle in this thing. Like she sort of weasels away as if she's uncomfortable to be there. But then she kisses him and then she sort of jumps around excitedly like a little girl and then leaves him with balls bluer than the cookie monster. Why? Why is any of this happening? I don't understand the character as written. I don't agree with the theories that any of these characters have. And for the record, I'm smart, funny, and cute. I am a triple threat, Scarlet. So that blows that whole fucking thing right out of the water. Here's some more insights about men and women, though. Hey, did you know men lie and women eat ice cream when they are depressed? This is smart stuff, right? They're just saying what we're all thinking. So Bradley weakens. Bradley Cooper caves in because he's just thinking about his D's, thinking about a V. 
He calls Scarlett anyway and agrees to see her. And he nearly gets sprung by Jennifer Connelly. But she's not worried he's having an affair. She's worried he has been smoking. She's really concerned about the smoking. And I'm thinking that's why he was chewing the gum. This is high stakes, yo. Can't wait to see how this thread turns out. But let's stay on the Scarlet track. She goes to Bradley Cooper's office and is shy and nervous, but makes it very clear she's into him and uh, really takes on that submissive worshipping role. She's all, a girl can dream, can't she? And why are you married again? It's all Scarlet half smile and eyes. And look, she's fantastic at this. She's There's no question that she's the person that you cast if you want to believe that somebody would fall in love with her straight away and would be willing to do something risky or irrational in order to be with her. I understand that. I get that. I'm not criticizing her performance. She does this stuff really, really well. As always, I'm criticizing how shallow the role is and and how it's a waste of her talents. Because if you look at the early part of her career, when we started this series, it was really, really exciting because she did a lot of interesting, different, quirky, indie films. Ghost World, Lost in Translation, The Man Who Wasn't There, Manny and Lowe. She did unusual things and it was exciting. Now we're getting into that sort of mainstream pap stage. And we've kind of been floating around there for a while, but that's okay because the great thing about starting this is I knew where we were going to end up. And there's some really great, interesting, quirky indie stuff coming up towards the end. She goes full circle. She comes back to the good stuff. And we know she's going to be doing some really great stuff just around the corner. In fact, we're, we're really, really, really nearly there. We can do this, guys. Let's get back into this. So she's being incredibly adorable. Bradley talks about the nature of men and women in a way that reminds me of Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. Brad tells her she is really hot. Uh, the second character to remind her that this is her sole character trait, though he did say that to her in the supermarket as well. She's being told that she's hot every scene because I imagine a girl that looks like Scarlett Johansson has self-esteem issues, probably feeling dumpy, bloated, unappreciated. She knows she's hot now. She knows he likes her. And the scene ends. And when we next see her, she's actually teaching Bradley Cooper in a yoga class. That rascal, that wily fox-like... Bradley Cooper has deliberately gone to this class because he knows that she would be teaching it. She's being very serene up the front, sitting cross-legged, but they are shooting each other those eyes and smiles. And he descends upon her as she rolls up her mat after class. He gets to be very charming and funny. She gets to be the straight man that lets him be very charming and funny. And then she asks him if he wants to swim. And he decides, you know what? We can be friends. I'm married, but we can be friends. He tells her again, he reminds her that she's hot. Because it's been a few minutes and we don't want her to sink into depression. And she says, and how many times have you heard a woman say this? Especially when they're interested in you. She says that he has an ass. she wants to dry hump. Very well written, again saying what we're all thinking. They shake on their friendship and then she must have taken the hot thing literally because she takes off all her clothes and gets naked. Now, of course, the camera is only focused on the back of her thighs which are in the foreground and Bradley Cooper's face that looks like he's just won the lottery in the background 
and she jumps into the water. And then we do see a shot of her treading water naked. And he tells her that she is the best friend he's ever had. I'm assuming because she's hot. Did I mention that Scarlett Johansson is hot? If you ever forget, just put on this movie. Then, however, no naked shenanigans follow. We cut back to him going to the old battle axe, the wife, Jennifer Connelly, the old ball, ball and chain. Imagine being uh, married to that hag, right? Because this is the other leap of faith the movie wants you to believe. The movie wants you to believe that Jennifer Connelly and Bradley Cooper are married but are not having sex. I guess because they're so hideously ugly, right? And she is pissed and suspicious, not because he's just been watching Scarlett Johansson swim naked, but because he's been smoking, by her estimation, and her dad died of lung cancer, you insensitive asshole! Fuck! What are you doing, Bradley? You're gonna blow this. This is, for me, that's the storyline in this film that uh, has me on the edge of my seat. Has he been secretly sneaking durries behind Jennifer Connelly's back? I don't know. I want to know. I want to get to the bottom of this. Scarlett is next seen at a gathering with Kevin Connolly. Remember him? That's the guy that she was sort of seeing. But uh, we only really approach this scene so that she can find an excuse to awkwardly leave again. And then we see Bradley Cooper sitting topless in bed as Scarlett walks around wearing one of his shirts. The sexening has occurred. These two have sealed the deal. Hey D, meet V. He's all confused about it. He doesn't know if this was a good thing, but she eggs him on and he's all flirty and sexy again. You know, ruin your life, break up your marriage. And then she gets to roll onto her back and do the really dreamy, I can't stop thinking about you. Can't stop thinking about you, dreamy Bradley Cooper. Because... You chew gum like nobody's business. Then she's in the pharmacy talking to Drew Barrymore about how Bradley will totally leave his wife for her. They talk about guys and the things that guys do and how they want those guys. I did mention this thing is two hours and ten minutes long and I'm about halfway through the film at this point and have skipped over 90% of the plot. And, and the characters keep doing monologues about what the opposite sex does and experience they have had. And they do them with real importance. Like, you know in a Tarantino film where a character starts telling a story, but in a Tarantino film, you shut up and you listen. You go, okay, and it goes somewhere. None of these stories go anywhere. These characters are saying nothing. Then there's a ton of stuff with all these other celebrities. Bradley Cooper tells Jennifer that he slept with someone, but she's still more concerned about the smoking. And he's like, I'll move out. And she's like, no, let's just deal with this. And I think he's like, yeah, but I kind of want to keep banging Scarlett Johansson because, uh, just my opinion, I think she's pretty hot. Controversial, maybe. And then much later on, Bradley takes Scarlett into his office again and she's all giddy and excited because the meeting she had about her singing went really well. Uh, but look, he doesn't give a shit about this. He is kissing her and groping her and ripping off her clothes. Now, other actors have made out with her. Quite a lot of other actors in these films. But Bradley Cooper, that sly fox, is the first one to just, he's squeezing her ass, he's squeezing her boobs, he's just going to town. And she is sort of giggling about this until his wife 
turns up outside and interrupts the whole thing. And not wanting to get caught, he pushes Scarlet into a cupboard. So Scarlet sits in the cupboard looking incredibly anxious and listens as Jennifer doesn't come in to yell at the man, but comes in to try and rekindle their sex life and starts taking her own clothes off and gets all up on that D. So they do it while Scarlet is in the cupboard and afterwards, after Jennifer leaves, the used, angry Scarlett Johansson yells for about 10 seconds. That's about all she's given. She's all, don't touch me. You will never touch me again. I am untouchable. And she leaves and um, no more sexy times for Bradley Cooper. And look, Scarlett is A-list. She's sharp. She's a sharp person. I think she's smart. I think she's talented. So it's disappointing that she gets these mindless, sexy roles. And this is a mindless, sexy role. It's an object of desire. That's all it is. And yes, she is sexy. But, like, this is the kind of role that Megan Fox could pull off. It's not a stretch. And then Scarlett is home in bed, looking at a picture. And this is an actual photo of herself as a child. That's the best part of the film for me. Because this is her dreaming of happier days and happier roles. She's feeling low. She's feeling manny and low. She's like, those were the days. And then Kevin Connolly, he enters and he babbles about how he hasn't been clear about their relationship. And she looks all sheepish and little girlish. And then she throws herself on him. So fickle. And then more kissing. They start making out. And this is yet another film in a string of them lately where she gets it on with more than one of the male stars. So it's not even like just one of the guys has to win her during a film. More than one of the guys have to win her in the film. It's like it's in everybody's contract that I don't suppose I could get a kissing scene with Scarlett Johansson as well, right? I'm beginning to feel like more people have kissed her in Hollywood than haven't. And that's just in the last 10 films because I hadn't seen a lot of these films. I didn't realize that like, you know, Eric Banner and Hugh Jackman, for example, had, had made out with her. And that's just the Australians. And then she lies in bed with him later she's in the dark but she's wide awake and looks unsure what do you want scarlet she just does not know oh and then this is the the big main story though jennifer finds a packet of cigarettes in cooper's jeans and goes absolutely fucking nuts and starts yelling like she's confronting the goblin king it's frightening she even smashes a mirror Later on, Scarlett gets shown a new apartment by Kevin Connolly. He's also a real estate agent. And she becomes very excited about an ironing board, which makes her feel nostalgic. Kevin says, look, I'm going to buy this apartment, but I want you to join me. I want to buy it if you're into it. She stares at him wide-eyed and speechless for a while. And then she looks like she might cry. This is her performance. This is the emotion that she's given. She's all, it's what every girl wants. It's just... She doesn't want it with him. She's not into Kevin Connolly. Tears finally flow. Actually flow. Real tears. She's crying. Which is at least a performance. This is something I've been missing for a while now. Again, it's not her. It's not her performance. It's the character that's the problem. He asks if they can just go back to when they were sleeping together because that was easier. And she smiles and hugs him like he just said a charming thing. She is so crazy fickle. And then the film goes on to show that it looks like Drew Barrymore is actually going to land Kevin Connolly, that the two of them are going to be together. So Scarlett, as she has been in almost every film beforehand, ends up being the outsider once again, that lone person that doesn't fit in while everybody else gets together. 
And then, as a final insult to Scarlet, she gets to sing at the end, and her song is on the soundtrack. Uh, it's The Last Goodbye, it's a cover of the Jeff Buckley song. And we see her singing, and she's really sort of putting her heart into it. She's got a lot of expression, she's giving a lot of feeling, but we do not hear her singing. The filmmakers have decided to play narration, Jennifer's like bubbly, bouncy narration over the top of Scarlet singing and play a different song, which is clearly not Scarlet and has a completely different tone to The Last Goodbye underneath the narration. So she doesn't even get given that. They like rob her of that. At the end as well. I mean, I was complaining just recently about Vicky Cristina Barcelona and how her thoughts and feelings were robbed by a narrator. Now her singing, which is obviously something in her real life that she's very passionate about, uh, it's taken away from her as well. They show like 10 seconds of it, but uh, cover up the sound. And that's pretty much the end of the film. There, There are some vox pops where the characters talk to the camera at the end. And um, as I said, she's the outsider. She's not with anyone. She just mumbles about, I'm focusing on self-discovery. I'm not dating. I'm going to India. Or as everyone else is like, all D and V crazy. So in conclusion, I really feel like this is a bland film about bland people, specifically for bland people who are unable to navigate throughout life without the familiar, comfortable markers of broad gender stereotypes. These are the people that believe that everything important that there is to be said about men and women can fit on a bumper sticker or a coffee mug. And as for Scarlett herself, she's being used very superficially. The characters tell her that she is hot a hundred times, and that is what she's there to be. She is the hot one. She's fickle, and she creates conflict. Why was she cast? Why did she do it? On paper, it sounds pretty great to work with all of these people. I guess in theory, at a stretch, you could say, well, it's this great big Love Actually kind of story. Love Actually went really well, right? Maybe this will be the same. This script is no love, actually. But let's move onward and upward to better things. Housekeeping scarcabulary. What is the new word or phrase that we learnt this episode? Not too sure. I kind of like this concept of supermarket chivalry. Like, what is that thing in the film that the male character does for the hot girl, which the film desperately wants you to feel is kind of suave and, and slick and endearing but he's actually pretty inane and fucking stupid for example there's a lot of supermarket chivalry going on in 50 shades of gray you know where el james is like and then christian gray did this can you believe it oh he's so sweet and sexy and you're just like girl don't even and then her three greatest feats. What were her three greatest feats in this film? What will we remember her for? Number one, she was cute. Number two, she was sexy. Number three, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous to think that there could be a third thing. I said it at the beginning if you were paying attention. You can only pick two. But do not worry. Next week change is in the air. I feel like if this podcast was a three-act play, we are about to enter act three. 
Next week's show is Iron Man 2, which of course is Scarlet's first appearance as her superhero character, the Black Widow. We're going to see her play this character multiple times in the future, and I am very excited to start talking about this character at the ground level and to really look at that character and see how it develops over time. I do believe that character has a really interesting arc. So I have a suspicion there's probably a lot of you that have been waiting for us to get to that point. And holy crap, we did it. We're nearly there. In fact, it's going to be pretty smooth sailing, except for that time that she uh, buys a zoo. I've never seen that film, but I'm like, we bought a zoo? Fuck you did. Who buys a zoo? Crazy. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I really love having your company, even though I'm sitting in here by myself and I'll probably never hear from any of you. But uh, do rate and review on iTunes. Listen to the other shows, FPCast and the Book Was Better podcast. If you want to know about all those shows that I'm doing, go to www.fruitlesspursuits.com. You'll also find links to the Facebook pages, including the group discussion page. I'd be happy to discuss any of these things with you. I got told by uh, someone, someone did give me feedback on the Facebook page, said that uh, my reading of Vicky Christina Barcelona was very superficial. That's fine. It was my opinion. I reiterated what I thought. I said, I'm happy to hear the counterpoints. Haven't heard him yet. So who gives a shit, right? <laughs> what can I do? Nothing. But I can join you again next week or a week soon after that if I don't make it next week to talk about some Black Widow. Iron Man 2, The Quest for Strawberries. I will see you then. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.